0: Two,
1: three, four. You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I are joined by my colleague Rachel Fussell, the People for Bikes Electric Mountain Bike Policy and Program Manager to talk about everything related to e-mountain bikes. We discuss a short history of the activity, what's important to know when buying or riding an electric mountain bike, and of course, the barriers facing the electric mountain bicycling community. Let's get into it. I was, I was telling someone just the other day that the conventional knowledge for a while was that electric bicycles were just being ridden by older folks who were addressing their physical limitation and like extending their ride their like rider life cycle by using the electric bicycle. And it's mm-hmm. a great tool for that, but it's a great tool for a lot of other things too. And it's also just like a bunch of fun. And so I'm amped to talk about electric mountain bikes today. We've got Rachel Fussell here from People for Bikes. Rachel, I don't know your title. What's your title?
2: It's the EMTV Policy and Program Manager for People for Bikes.
1: Cool, amped. I should know that, but all of our titles are so long that it just all gets lost and I, I forget. So thanks for... Um, Thanks for your grace. So tell us what you do at PFP and then let's talk about e-mountain bikes.
2: Yeah. So again, I work really in the ENTB mountain bike space. So that means like both electric mountain bikes and analog mountain bikes. Anywhere that we can gain more access for both is really what I'm focused on, um, mainly on trails for recreation as well as active transportation. So that's really what I'm focused on.
1: Cool. I dig it. Can you give us like a brief history of electric mountain bikes?
2: Oh, that's a tall order for a brief history, but I will try to be as brief as possible. <laughs> give us a fun <laughs> history of electric mountain bikes. Okay. I wish I could be like, oh, we should do like drunk history at some point for, <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, next season should just yeah. be that
1: right now we'll have to settle for like caffeinated history because I got my coffee rock in here <laughs>
2: Yeah. Exactly. And I have my hot water. So we're good to go. So I will start with in terms of brief history, I kind of want to start with the class system because that's Mm -hmm. really where all of this starts. So there's three classes of e-bikes. And class one is just a bicycle that has a motor that provides assistance. So it's a pedal assist. So and that ceases to provide any assistance when the bike reaches 20 miles per hour. So again, class one is pedal assist, meaning there's no throttle, and the motor stops when the rider stops pedaling. Class two has a throttle, but again, it reaches up to 20 miles per hour. It stops. The motor stops assisting once it reaches that. And then class three does not have a throttle, and but it reaches up to 28 miles per hour. I want to start there because when we're talking about electric mountain bikes, especially those that are built for and marketed to and promoted for mountain bikers, they are almost always class one. So when mm-hmm. I'm talking about EMTBs, I'm mainly talking about class one pedal assist moving forward. Just like always putting that out there. Cause I think folks get right now it's can be very confusing for folks and, and what's happening out in the world and what they're purchasing and what they're not purchasing. So um, most mountain bikers are purchasing EM mountain bikes that are class one. That's really what all that there is on the market as of now.
1: So super helpful.
2: Yeah. So with that, there, it's definitely a patchwork. There's a nationwide, it kind of varies depending on who you're working with, who your land manager is, both at the federal, state and local levels. So as an example, the Department of the Interior treats electric bicycles as a non-motorized vehicle, while the Forest Service regulates them as motorized. So and the US Forest Service is right now the only federal agency whose current policy is that e-bikes are motor vehicles.
1: How many federal agencies have policies regarding e-bikes in one way or another?
2: So, the Department of the Interior includes the National Park Service, uh Fish and Wildlife and the Bureau of Reclamation and the Bureau of Land Management, BLM. Mm-hmm. They all have policies and then the Forest Service also has a policy. So, most okay. of them have a policy. I'm actually the Army Corps of Engineers I think is a bit more piecemeal, but hmm. Most of them have policies currently at the federal level.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Keep going. It's yeah, yeah. That's a good
2: question. And then as for the states, as of right now, we have 48 states that define an e-bike as a bicycle. And then out of those 48, 41 of those states use the three-class system, which is really helpful for us because when we're looking at trail access for EMTBs, If a state has a three-class system or at least defines them as bicycles, that means our access is a lot easier to to move forward with when they have those definitions. So People for Bikes, um, that's been a big campaign recently for us to get this three-class system. And we're almost there. There's only two states right now that define electric bicycles as motorized vehicles. And we're working with them to hopefully get that passed via the um, legislature, hopefully soon, within the next couple of years. which states are those? That is Alaska and Rhode Island.
1: Interesting. Yeah. The largest and the smallest.
2: Yeah. I never so actually thought about it that way. Yeah. So, What's the pushback? That is a good question. Alaska, it was because they don't want regulations, basically. Okay, they okay. Like, any, okay. any new things okay. are like,
1: <laughs> nope,
2: we're good as we are. Rhode Island, I'm a bit confused about Rhode Island, why there's so much pushback from Rhode Island. <laughs> But again,
0: different different polar polar opposites on a distribution.
2: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's um, fascinating. Yeah. And I haven't been like directly involved with the Rhode Island one. So that's why I'm like, I can't really say what's happening there. That's why I get confused by them. Like, why all of the neighboring states allow it? But yeah. yeah.
0: It's, it's just like a, a clear, a clear example of when things uh, come around both directions and end up meeting in the back. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And Alaska are meeting in the back.
2: <laughs> <laughs> They're both agreeing on it. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating.
1: Yeah. We know that the electric bicycle market within like the overarching bicycle market is the fastest growing segment, right? It, it's outpacing any other categories growth. And it's, it's cause it's like, a newer market it's it's sort of maybe emerging it's increasing in popularity we're doing a bunch of work a bunch of other folks are doing good work to increase access and so there's more places to ride it that's really supporting the market growth and within that the electric mountain bike market too is sort of having its own time um this like period of substantial growth in in both dollars and units what can you tell us rachel about how this market has like increased in popularity, or like how it's grown as a sport to include more riders, to like include greater access to these uh, fun places to ride e mountain bikes. Why, why yeah. are we seeing what we're seeing?
2: So I think there's lots of different reasons for the boom and why consumers are wanting EMTBs within their quiver of. Mountain bikes. So not only does, well, EMTBs make mountain biking more accessible and inclusive because it creates more positive outcomes for enabling more people, particularly the elderly, disabled, those who may have been injured and are just looking to have a better relationship with the outdoors via an EMTB. So the accessibility and the inclusivity, it also gives folks choices. So if you want to get outside, We've seen that with, in terms of behavior, AMTBs are like, if you have a hill going up to your house, AMTBs help you be more willing to even get out on your bike, knowing that that big hill is coming. So we're seeing people are riding longer. They are riding um, more often and it's putting a bigger swath of the population on bikes, which for me is the big thing. Like we are growing that pie. We're not shrinking it or keeping the status quo and I think EMTBs are kind of breaking the status quo when it, ta- when it comes to mountain biking because it's, it lowers that barrier to entry, right? Both like mentally. I know a lot mm-hmm. of um, women and men who maybe not be in the peak physical moment of their life, but MTBs help them just get out on the bike, get outside, yeah. which I think is always a benefit to getting more people outside because there's research that shows once people are outside, they're more likely to connect with it, to care about it, to want to help. Be a part of the solution here so i always think that's a great thing and it also helps with mental health and all the things that we saw during covid i think and i know i'm I'm obviously a convert but i think mountain biking (laughs) and bikes can be a solution to all the things that we saw during covid that we're still working on basically i
1: love it i'm gonna ask you a question that i didn't send you beforehand and if you don't know the answer that's okay but do you think that electric bicycles are creating new customers more or that they are converting non-electric bike riders into, like you said, like someone who's adding that e-mountain bike to their quiver?
2: Yeah, I think it's honestly both because I've heard both. And this is all anecdotal, but I'm not a data wizard like Patrick yet, but.
1: I, I, um, I have these data. I'm. I'm one, you're the expert. <laughs> I just want to know what you think.
2: I mean, anecdotally, I think it's both. I've seen so many folks who are just like, I want to ride more than I do. And having an Mm EMTV lets me get out, um, stop being just the weekend warrior, but lets me get out on the weekday when I have family and job stuff happening. It just makes that barrier to entry rate a little bit lower and I can get on it. And then I also see, I have a lot of... um, brand like couple of friends who their partner maybe wasn't into mountain biking and they're not getting into mountain biking because they can actually ride together. And it's women typically and the research is that women like to do things in groups and socialize and EMTBs mm-hmm. are actually a great tool to socialize because you're not huffing and puffing. You can actually talk when you're riding okay. and it just makes it more of a group social activity than a just pure athletic pursuit where you're like, I'm just going to get oh, up that cool. hill as fast as possible. I think we're getting more women. And then also the folks that are already in like endemic to the sport, just being able to ride longer. Like we're now seeing people who are riding into their eighties as more of a norm than before, where you pretty much had to stop earlier on because you didn't have the choices unless you yeah. really just wanted to ride on like gravel paths or flat bike paths, things like that, which is nothing wrong with that. Um, but I do think that the single track trails are certainly um a lot of people got into it because it's exciting and it's challenging and you still get all that mental things that are happening when you're riding a mountain mm-hmm. bike and the challenge on the trails, but you just have an extra assist to help you be out there and enjoy it more. Who's yeah. buying? Who's buying? Oh.
0: Yeah. So who's a, who's a typical e-bike rider? Draw me a
2: picture. Oh, a typical <laughs> e-bike rider. That is a good question. So like, and again, I put them in two camps. I think the typical, I think, it's Oh man, that's a hard question, Kelly. Cause I just feel like it's, it's changing so much. It's like breaking the status quo. So, I don't think there is a typical be rider at this moment. The typical one that I might see on the trails is typically like here in Whistler, which is where I am right now. I see older males who are out on the trail who are definitely like in their older age and they're using it as a tool to just be out there and ride more. But when I get in town, I'm doing some of the um, maybe like more chill trails than the typical EMTV rider, in my opinion. Is more, a more of a female, younger with a group of women riding together. So like I, I put them in two groups because I see like the the like gnarly like black double black trails. You see a certain type of EMT rider, and then like in town on a bit more, um, chill social trails where you can ride in groups. I see more women on EMTBs.
1: Interesting. You,
2: um, you can't take an e bike to Whistler's park yet, can you? not to the bike park right actually you might actually be able to I think I saw actually I think you can you can ride an e-bike anywhere in Whistler except for Lord of the Squirrels which not, is in- but
0: you can do a line you can do all you can do Lord of the Squirrels is the only one I wonder yes.
2: why, why so Lord of the Squirrels and this is just my educated guess um Lord of the Squirrels is a, what they call like an a sensitive alpine area that has grizzly bears and bears so from my opinion, it's to
1: the batteries really mess up the bear's digestive system.
2: You know, <laughs> I was saying if you just get them a lo- really low battery in that area. That's... I think it's yeah, that's that's it's all about the bears, the EMTBs. <laughs> uh, I think it's a way for them to easily cut down on the number of folks that are using utilizing that trail. I see that that makes sense. Um, yeah. It's not because of the technology. It's not because like the because the rangers use. The bike like there's a hut at the top of it but it's it's a long slog so it's over five thousand feet in a day that you gain and it's almost 20 miles so they don't want and it's like active grizzly bear habitat too so it is a true backcountry experience and if you don't have the experience that and the EMTBs are able to get you up there maybe if you're not you know if you don't really know what you're getting into but also they don't want as many people in what we call like the Spro area, which is an alpine yeah. zone.
0: I mean, here's the sense. thing: plumper people are tastier.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm pro bear right now. <laughs> um, all right. In all seriousness, as as there there was whiskey and snowboard, as there was with surf and sub, there's mm-hmm. there is conflict within the mountain bike community about e-bikes. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Oh yes, yeah. So. <laughs> There's definitely conflict, and I think in every, especially because EMGBs, I think, really rose to prominence during COVID, where there was already so much strain on our public resources and trails. Yeah. So that didn't add to, it didn't help the situation that EMTBs really blew up during COVID. As a lot of things did, but I think specific concerns about EMGB access typically fall into two buckets, which I think are safety, which includes user conflict and environmental degradation concerns and within the safety i'll talk about the safety and user conflict first because the speed is the one that comes up most often as a potential for conflict there aren't too many studies right now that talk about speed and emtbs but there was one that i that came up with the tahoe national forest they did an environmental assessment as part of their um their interest in opening up class one access for EMTBs. And so what they found is that it's not the case that speed is is creating more conflict on the trails. So they collected this data on comparative speeds on the trails and they used a class one e-bike EMTB and analog bikes on recreational use trails that were already open to mountain bikers. And then what they did is they measured the difference in average and top speeds between intermediate and advanced riders on both those analog mountain bikes and the class one EMTBs over like mixed single track terrain. And that included downhill flat sections and uphill sections. So they did all three of them with that um, as those parameters. And when they did this, they showed that the average speed was similar between class one and analogs on the flat and downhill sections. So that means like very little difference, if not at all, like nothing that noticeable. On the uphill sections, which would make sense, class one bikes were able to achieve higher speeds, but this was well within the range of differences in speed that is observed between novice and expert riders.
1: So So, interesting.
2: So the problem is actually hubris. (laughs) 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah.
0: like to get past going uphill by some jerk on an e-bike. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm going mean, to kick fast now because I'm going to throw a temper tantrum about it. And that's where and that's I mean, are we addressing the wrong thing in the conflict? I mean, is it speed or is it hubris?
2: I mean, I think it's I think this data shows that. And again, we need I, I'm always one for more data and more research and replicating this. But I think the big takeaway here is that speed is largely determined by the rider's skill and the trail design, not mm. by the technology, right? Like it's not, I, I think it's a lot of that, right? The, I'm not used to getting passed on the uphill. I don't want to get off my bike. I don't want to be Yeah, fast. yeah.
0: Because it's yeah. so on my ego. It just yes. rolls right over my ego and it's really important to me. that yeah. I feel like I'm the coolest, you know, I've got the gnar points on the coolest, coolest, <laughs> coolest trail, the fastest mountain biker on this trail.
1: You're exposing right. this about yourself, right, Kelly? This is yeah, just
0: yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so much hubris. It's true. You can you can totally tear me down by yeah. by by just you know light criticism. It's true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh but yeah. Hey, um,
0: that's interesting. And I, I was thinking about how you would set up a study to objectively determine the difference between environmental degradation caused by e-bike versus analog. And it, you know, in that case. I would guess that it would be exactly the the wear and tear patterns on trail would be maybe a slightly different, but mostly in exactly equal in terms of degradation, because there is basically, it's just the same bike. It's just got a little motor to help you.
2: Yes. Right. Like, and so there's one study, and again, I would love to do another study on this. Um, So the main concerns there focused on damaging the trails and the tread of the trails EMBA conducted a study back in 2016 that also said or concluded that class one EMTBs do not have any more impact than traditional mountain bikes or other trail users. And um, they looked at that erosion and the weight of the bike, how you're pedaling. So that again has come up as a reason why EMTB should not be allowed on trails but we're not seeing that in the data or in the research that's yeah. Throw oh, that research paper at them every time they even mention that. And the reason the reason I'm a, I'm a
0: little bit salty about this is yeah. because this is a, these are exactly the same arguments. I mean, word for word, the same arguments that are used to keep mountain bikes off trails to begin with.
2: But yeah, for sure. I think that's a good point too, Kelly. Just it's not to me. It's almost like we want to use EMTBs to relitigate mountain bikes, and that we're We should not be using these as a scapegoat for some of our other concerns about user conflicts because this is helping getting more people on the trails, enjoying nature. I think that's actually the thing is that there's a lot of NIMBYism within the trail community. And they're Mm -hmm. like, this is my, there's a lot of sense of, this is my trail. I don't want more people on it. I don't care what you're using. And so EMDBs are a good way to push back on that, right? Because it's new. They have the, the argument, like, we don't know. So. I see a lot of that. And I think it's really disappointing as a community that I think we can do better as a community and be more inclusive and welcoming instead of being gatekeepers for trails and places that I think everyone should be able to enjoy, regardless of age, disability, location, where you live, your economic means, whatever it is. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. It's been fun for me to watch what happened to my local trail system. We've got we've got some world class downhill, right? four miles north of me, and it's called the Frederick Watershed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know it. So I've spent a lot of time in those woods. I've lived Mm -hmm. here for 27 years. I've spent a ton of time in those woods riding bikes, running, (laughs) sledding, doing other things, you know, time in the woods. And I'm Jenna, right, so time in the woods. And it's been really interesting as I've I've acquired um, e-bikes. And the first one I got was an e-fat bike. And then I got a, oh. like an E around town bike. I've got an E push bike, which is hilarious. It looks like it's a it's an Amish push bike. And I put a thousand watt motor on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally unregulated. It goes like 80 miles an hour. It's ridiculous. Can we? <laughs> <laughs> I've got one that's a, I've got a folding e-bike that I, I got because I'm a pilot. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to be able to fly in a place oh. I, can, and I can get my this bike in the plane? And mm-hmm. so when I got to a place, I, I had 80 miles of range on a bike. Great idea. Great on paper. Did not ever actually work. But it's been fun to like watch and on the trails because I'm, I'm, I spend a lot of time um, on downhill trails, whether it's running or hiking. I don't know. Yeah. I just like going uphill and then downhill. And watching <laughs> trails have evolved with yeah. e-bikes so i see a lot of a lot of, of people mostly guys honestly and it it looks like what's happening in my little trail system is the dynamic is this it's a three mile downhill but then a three mile just, just kick your ass uphill and so the a couple of the guys got e-bikes right a couple like maybe they hit their 50s and i like, fuck i'm just gonna get so i can keep up with those guys because yeah. it's, it's not a pleasant ride back up the hill it's just not And so when they got the e-bikes, like hey, this is actually kind of fun. I can keep up with these guys. And then another guy got one. So now they're all, they have to all get the e-bike because now the two young guys are getting left in the dust.
2: Yes. That's
0: the dynamic I am seeing. And also I've seen those trails get really evolved. Like now they're building, they're building them up. There's some features on them. They've got some berms, it's super fun. They're, I mean, they've Mm -hmm. really. They've really smoothed out a couple of them so they can be super flowy. It's mm. it's kind of like just watching the evolution of it. And yes, that. but I still see that, you know, that conflict with, the, you know, at the trailhead, like, oh, that guy on the e-bike just thinks he's such a badass. I'm like,
2: come on, man.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it has become more inclusive. And it's beautiful to watch, but we've got a ways to go, I think.
2: I think we do too. Yeah, I'd say that, access is the number one issue. And although so like when I see that data that Patrick shared of this continues to be the one that is bringing a lot of hope to the industry and we're seeing consumers are really excited about it, but mm-hmm. that also the needs a match access. And if they're un, like incompatible, which they are right now in my opinion, then how do we continue to open up access so that the con- consumer demand can meet the demand on the trails?
1: In
0: Alaska, in Alaska. Okay. They don't want to. fine. Whatever. Hunting with an, on an e-bike is a huge deal now. Oh, oh for yes. sure. So maybe yeah. that's not, maybe that's not on trail. That's backcountry, which is even mm-hmm. better. I mean, yeah. back country, back country. I'm going to put favorite.
1: fishing in there too.
0: Fishing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes, yeah. yes. Then you can get to that spot. I just bought a whole fly outfit, by the way, Patrick, including waiters. Very right. proud of you. I got got an Orvis, um, clear water rod set.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah.
0: Anyway. So I'm thinking about taking my monster, my monster e-fat bike, which is not regulated at all. Don't tell because I got it before I was on the, I was on the front edge of this. So this has a thumb throttle. It goes like 80 miles an hour. It's got pedals. It's ridiculous. And, you know, I've been thinking about how I can get to my favorite fly fishing spot on that bike. Because yeah. it, it would get, you know, then I don't have to hike three miles.
1: Yeah. That's going to be in, awesome. in waders with your wading boots on. Right. All it's to, no, it's not just a regular three-mile hike. <laughs> no, it it's sucks. A, it's, a, just... it's a, yeah, clip-clop, real slow three-mile hike.
0: <laughs> it's no
1: fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me ask you this question, Rachel. Um, so we talked about access. Like, What is important for riders or like e-mountain bike riders or prospective e-mountain bike riders to know um. Uh, like when they want to start riding or when they want to go somewhere when they're, they're researching their own access.
2: Yeah. So I think number one is know what you're buying before you buy it. So like know the class of your EMTB. So again, as I said, class one EMTBs are the most common as well as the most likely to be allowed on non-motorized trails, but some trails that allow traditional mount bikes do not allow EMTBs and, um, So it's just really important to understand what you're writing and then also where you're writing them. Does that land manager allow EMTBs class one or even class two? There are some that allow class two. So just really understanding what you're buying before you're writing it or buying it is really important. And then what's allowed once you get out there, right? Like you want to be researching that before you buy it. Because if you buy an EMTB in an area that has no trails that are open to EMTBs, then where do you, like, what do you yeah. do in that instance? Um, as well as, I also say, know the class of your EMGB, because we're also seeing some folks who are buying out-of-class electric vehicles or e-motorcycles without realizing that they're buying electric, um, an electric motorcycle. Yeah. Because sometimes it's not clear. It can go faster. So there's lots of things, like understanding the class system is really important because we're seeing a lot, especially in California, we're seeing a lot of out-of-class electric vehicles with on the roads, going to trailheads, and then folks get there like, oh, I didn't realize that I had bought an, a, a motorcycle, basically.
0: I yeah, thought it was sure. open
2: to bicycles because some of the advertising is so this it's like
0: If it's got a thumb throttle, it's a motorcycle in California.
2: No. No, so if it... Um, it's that would be a class two, and it's up to twenty miles per hour. So if it goes faster than twenty miles per hour, it has seven hundred fifty watts, more than seven hundred fifty watts, and it has a throttle. Then that would be, and it has no pedals, right? A lot of times we're seeing. Pedals,
0: I'm I'm good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, like now we're seeing bikes that come with like e-motos that come it's with so pedal kits. I'm seeing a lot of them, um, so that yeah. they can get on trails, and that's that's that's
0: where. For me, that's where the line is.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I just think that the out of class electric vehicles are a big topic right now because consumers aren't aware of what they're buying and um, it can be somewhat confusing, right? If you have never, I think, especially for those who have never ridden and a mountain bike that are looking to go on the trails like right like we know the folks who are, are already in mountain biking they love the sport they know which brands they're going to they know what they're looking for but folks who are like i want to get this for my my kid and i want them to be on the trails and a parent who may not be biking and don't know anything about it may inadvertently buy an electric motorcycle or someone who's just getting new into the sport and like oh this looks really cool and you type in bike electric bike you can get a lot of different things to pop up online
0: Mm-hmm. So well, usually they're pretty clean. So I'll say it's you know it's not not a non-safe for worse si- situation with searching for yes. that's true. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't always happen in outdoor, man. Um yeah, it's what's striking to me about the about the e-bike market is that it's it was pretty disruptive. Um all kinds of little e-brand um bikes popped up and are being sold direct to consumer. And I mean, I bought some of them, and it's it's sort of interesting that. You know, and they just de- they describe rules in different ways. Some of them are, are not based in the US, so they don't really have any incentive to provide us with information about yeah. where we can where we can legally ride these bikes. Um, and and you know, information that maybe the consumer needs. But it's it's uh, so it's caveat emptor. You know, let the buyer beware that they may get a mountain bike that doesn't necessarily um, meet the requirements for mountain biking in California or whatever Rhode Island or Alaska or whatever their state they're in. Is there anywhere for people to go and find information like that? I mean, I'm, I'm no—I don't think we have a lot of, and if we do, I love you all, consumers on this on this podcast. But if you want more information about the rules and regulations around e biking, whether it's federal or or, um, state level or local level, where can I go to find those?
2: Yeah. So, actually, PFB just officially launched a new EMG policy database that lists all of the EMG policies, well, as much as we could, uh, across the nation at the federal, state, and local level, including classes and trail types where they're allowed. And um, I can share that link. In the podcast details, but I'm really excited yeah. to launch it because, and Patrick helped with making it beautiful. But because there is no, so like on Trail Forks or um, MTB Project, you can see where e bikes are allowed, but they don't tell you anything more. It's not more granular than that. It just says e bikes allowed. Well, what class? Is it class one, class two? uh Are there any parameters around it? What types of trails are we talking about here? So this one lists everything as exhaustive as we could at all levels, national parks, BLM, state parks, and then local communities, like a privately owned trail system, like a downhill park. So that's really exciting that at least the policies are there um, and you're able to sift through that. And then I then think pair that with like trail forks or another app that you're the navigating with is really helpful for folks to understand where they can and cannot be riding. And then also land managers to know, oh, actually next door that connects our trails, they allow class one on their single track mountain biking trails. We should probably see if we can connect them. Cause that's also the issue, right? Like if you're biking through the woods and there's no signage and you cross onto another land manager's land that then has a different policy. How, a, how are you supposed to know that without doing a lot of research beforehand? And B, you could technically you have to you wouldn't be following the rules, so you could get ticketed or have a fine. So for the consumer, it also can get really, really complicated really quickly. As we talk about different manage, man, land managers and the patchwork that currently exists across the U.S. Yeah.
0: What a great resource! Um, yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. I'm going to go check
2: it out. I'm so excited about it. It's been so helpful for my work and being able to to tell folks like, actually, I can tell you right now what the policy <laughs> is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
1: Um, we only have a little bit of time left, but what other like calls to action do you have, Rachel, for our millions and millions of listeners (laughs) standing by?
2: I mean, I do think getting involved in your local. I think locally, especially like getting involved in city councils, on your local trail organization, on um, your local land managers, whether that's the state, FPR, like just being involved is going Mm -hmm. to be what's going to be most helpful. We know that we've seen bans occurring across the state, and they typically happen really quickly. So we need folks on the ground who are linked in in this conversation and can actually educate politicians, local officials, staff members, why it's important to them to have access. I mean, I just think it's that's where we're gonna continue to make the most efforts. Because People for Bikes is a national organization. We work really hard to make sure we get public comments into at all levels, but we're certainly focused on the federal and state and we try to be as involved in the local and we have all the resources. Like we have all the resources on our website. We just want more people who love EMTBs, are passionate advocates for it, to get involved, to help us move forward.
1: You're raising your hand, but it's an audio only medium, Kelly.
2: Yeah, I know. But I, so I didn't want
0: to, I didn't want to interrupt Rachel. Because <laughs> was saying it was way more important than me. Just pledging my allegiance to the e-bike nation.
1: <laughs> That's How it. That's call our that? call to action. Pledge. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll come up with a pledge. We'll put it in the episode description. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, this, this has been killer. And I have a whole list here, Rachel, of like links that we can share with our audience. Uh, awesome. Some of the research that you were mentioning, like descriptions of the three class system, all that stuff. Um, And yeah, anything else that you want our members to, uh, or our our listeners to access, we can throw that in there. And, and, you know, I think one of the key points that you've made here is like, there's a lot of information that needs to get pushed out to folks so that we can make sure that we're all enjoying the outdoors appropriately. And we're having as much fun as possible within, um, you know, within the limits of like, what's accessible, what's reasonable on the trails. And I don't know, Kelly, you're shaking your head. You want to go 80 miles an hour.
0: There's no limit. I don't like limits.
1: Get out of here. I'm Alaska. Alaska. I'm Alaska.
0: <laughs> I hear access from you Rachel I access 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 yeah and I, and I see a pathway to increasing um diversity and and inclusion whether it's whether it you know it's age income ethnicity whatever I think that we we're we're gaining tools that will help more people get outdoors and and really get that connection to nature that you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast it's critical as human beings it's critical
2: thank yeah. you Thank you guys. Yeah. And I just I just hope that right, like we're seeing it when we're seeing more people on it, we're gonna get then more funding for more trails and recreation, which is gonna lift all of us up. And it doesn't have to be this like continuing to split the pie into smaller and smaller, but growing the pie are bigger and bigger so we can get more folks. The staff can get more resources. you know, I just think it's gonna help us all out in the future.
1: Perfect. I love you, mountain bikes. I love pie. I think it's it.
0: It's like pie or pie
1: pie we're growing the size of the pie i oh, p-i-e okay. yeah yeah
0: yeah. i love pie that, too. that
1: pie does end pi doesn't end it's different <laughs> I like beer thanks for listening to inside the outdoors presented by people for bikes and the outdoor industry association we'll see you next time